From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with top business leaders and founders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods they use to build their bottom line and a better future for all of us by leading with we. And today I'm so excited to speak with Natasha Case, the co-founder and CEO of Cool House, a premium all-natural ice cream brand. Natasha started the company with her wife, Freya Estrella, in 2009, and she's a passionate advocate for diversity in entrepreneurship. So Natasha, welcome to Lead with We. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us, you started Cool House in 2009. What led to that decision in the first place? So uh, it's kind of an interesting journey getting here. Uh, my background's in architecture and design, um, but I always wanted to, I think, use the skill set and apply it to something else. Like I always kind of thought of it really broadly. And I also was um, interested in, in, and this is a, for me, like a kind of lifelong thing, how to make things that are intimidating for people feel more fun and accessible. And so I was searching for a way to accomplish those two things. And I kind of stumbled on food, um, you know, by accident um, as, a, as a way to really achieve that. And the accident was uh, one of my professors in the studio, he criticized this model I had made. He said it looked like a layer cake. I was like, why is that a bad, king? bad thing? Layer cakes are delicious. Right. So I baked the next model as a cake. Yeah. And I, I had so much more fun creating that project than anything I had worked on. And I noticed my colleagues were really like lit up by it and were really excited. And I thought, this is what I want to do. If I bring food into the architecture conversation, it makes it, it just, it just, it's memorable. It's fun. It's welcoming. It brings people together. And so I started doing all these food and design projects all through the rest of college and all through graduate school and then into my first job at Disney Imagineering and the recession hit like right when I had pretty much started. So a lot of people were getting laid off. And as part of this food meets design concept, I started making ice cream sandwiches from scratch and punnily naming them after architects like Mies Vanilla Row, Frank Berry, Minimalism after minimalist design, um, Julius Morgan, you know, and it was really sort of a lighthearted way to just you know, bring awareness to architecture, make people feel better with ice cream. And then I met um, my co-founder, Freya Estreller, who's now, as, as, as you mentioned her, and she's actually now also remarried. So we've been partners in all ways. And she saw the business potential in this. And I think, you know, for us, we just saw the larger potential at that moment, because so much of life is timing, is, um, you know, a, way, a good moment to kind of elevate the ice cream category because I think there had been a lot of the same stale brands sitting there for decades and they didn't really have stories. They weren't relatable. They were all made by the same people, which is, you know, generally older white men. There wasn't like women created brands. There wasn't sure. millennial created brands, queer created brands, um, Freya, women of color. So it was just this whole opportunity to I think be authentic creators and, um, and we, but we didn't have any money and, you know, we were, everything was unsure kind of in the, in, in the economy. So we did find a, an ice cream truck with no engine for $2,500. You just went for it. I mean, let me ask you about that because would you, do you look back now as kind of one of those lessons in entrepreneurship and say, here was a happy accident. You were kind of thumbing your nose at your architecture professor and you did this sort of just creative expression. And then you said, you know, timing is so key with entrepreneurship and you just went with it and ran with it and so on. Would you say that that's a hidden gift and that we should all listen to those sort of happy accidents? Yeah, I think it's all about having recognition in life. Like, do you perceive a moment that comes to you as an opportunity, as a moment to explore, 
Or do you kind of have, you know, uh, the blinders on a bit about, you know, okay, I'm just getting from point A to point B and nothing is, you know, I'm not, I'm not kind of taking anything else in besides that, which I think there's moments for that too. Sometimes you really do just need to get from point A to point B, but I think always keep an open mind for something. uh, I, I think an entrepreneur knows that something that could first appear as a criticism or an obstacle is actually a hidden opportunity. It's all a question of how you perceive it. Um, and I think a lot of things, a lot of life is, is trusting your instinct and trusting your gut and believing, um, in, in how you may be uniquely positioned to do something cool and, and recognizing, you know, a good time to act. And, and ultimately there's no way to really know if something's going to happen if, unless you give it a try. Yeah. Having no money, having no experience isn't really a real obstacle. It's just if you're passionate about it. And do research. Yeah. And and do your research. Sure. You mentioned something really, um, important a moment ago that here was an industry opportunity, not because there was a white space or because there was, you know, um, a new innovation unlocked, but you looked at the industry and went, wow, there's a lot of sort of old white men running this industry and there was a place for millennials, for diversity in there. That's a really interesting lens on opportunity. What made you feel like that's something that you should lean into? Was it just, you know, as a way to represent yourself more authentically through business? Or was it like, no, this is something that needs to be elevated in the marketplace more broadly? I think a little bit of both. I think like from a product perspective, for sure, it was like, wow, this could be better. Like, we know I was making ice cream from scratch, like, you know, with friends and it it tasted so much better than what you could buy. So like clearly things can be done better. And I think the product products can be more transparent, you know, um, methods can be cleaner, um, sourcing can be more thoughtful, all the things that we more expect from, I think the, the top quality brands these days that were really new, not, not brand new concepts, but concepts that were ready to be reintroduced back then. But I think on another level, and that's really the bigger point in some ways is, is wanting that connection from the people who create the brands to the people who buy them and feeling that there's, there's something authentic about being able to make something that you know you would want and something special about that. And, and seeing that the story is something that resonates with you is also something that's, I think, much more um, in line with with how we how you know we consume and shop now. Um, we want to know who's behind it and why and what's their mission and what what's really how how they how are they using their platform, you know, of their brand for something good and interesting and um, what led them to this. And, and do I connect with that story? Um, so I think that was important for us. And let me ask you, like, to what degree does that personal story play into your brand? Because you've got some fantastic stories on the packaging, obviously, um, you've got certain storylines on the website and so on. Is it something that you use as a, um, you know, as a trigger for the business, as a catalyst for the business, or is it something more that people discover from when, you know, when they dig a little bit deeper, how do you see its role? We really do put it front and center because we feel that, it is such a special story, you know, that is, that just could, it's so unique to us and, yeah. and it has to do with who we are and it has to do with the timing when this brand was created and why it's here today and why it's, you know, thrived to get where it is today. And I think, um, you know, like the whole kind of from architecture to the truck and, you know, the truck had no engine. We towed it to Coachella with a AAA platinum membership. That's awesome. Pretended that it broke down, even though it never drove. And, and we launched there. And it's such a special origin story. So I think if you lead with that and people know that, it's like it's such a connection to the brand they want to buy it. And also it's a North Star for a lot of how we think about, you know, how we how we grow the brand, um, the partnerships we do, the flavors we create, the events we want to be at. Um, so I think, I think like leading with that story is really important. And then that story informs how we use the platform for the mission, which is 
you know, it, it really, how can we empower the next generation of diverse creators, women, minorities, the LGBTQ community to be able to live out their dreams to, 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 in a way that, you know, that they want to, and that we are moving the dial for that generation. How do we use our ice cream novelties to make that happen? So it, it makes sense because that's how we started, you know? It totally makes sense. And also there's so much creativity within those communities. It's got to yeah. be doubly frustrating that they're not better represented in the entrepreneurial world. Absolutely. I want to ask about that for a second. I mean, mm -hmm. what obstacles have you come up against? For example, there's the digital divide, you know, where some communities don't have access to the web the same way others. There is the funding and VC and private equity money is in certain markets around the country. You know, all of these things are different limits on the entrepreneurial ambitions of people out there, but peculiar to the sort of, you know, LGBT communities and so on, what have you found gets in the way or what resistance have you found? Is it a lack of access to capital? Is it just a lack of representation? What are those things you had to overcome? Well, I think that capital and representation is connected because I think ultimately when you're going to raise money for your, and you're, you know, trying to get this opportunity for investors to be involved in what you're building. And I really do mean it's an opportunity for the investors. And I, that's how I see it. I think that's how you have to see it. You're not asking for a favor, you know, they're, they're getting there. You've literally created something and an investor can say, Oh, here's a check. I get to be part of it. That's a pretty big opportunity for them. But I think when you're going and you're pitching that partnership, when there's so few people who you come from your community on the other side of the table, right. there is going to be a disconnect, you know? So part of it is, you know, who are the people at, at these firms writing the checks and, you know, we obviously need to have more women and minorities and, 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 you know, queer and, and, and any way that's underrepresented, that's one important thing. So I think when you have that on the other side, it certainly makes it easier. And it could be something as simple as if you're a woman raising money and you were creating a product for women right. and you're pitching to all men, of course, they may not see the value because they wouldn't even know maybe how to use that product. For they, don't, they don't even but know what they're missing not, out on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Yes. Or, and, but, but beyond that, it's like, it, it doesn't matter. It's just so important. Um, to, um, to, to have, have that connection. And I think also everyone's journey is different. Um, I think for me as, you know, as a gay woman, I think, um, in some ways it's funny, I, Bray and I talk about this a lot. I have, we have a lot of lesbian friends who are running companies and I think ultimately adversity can serve you in business because you have had to question things. You have had to maybe have really tough conversations, Maybe you've had a different relationship with with risk, um, you know, um, and, you know, how you um, may think about, you know, uh, uh, like risk, for example, um, even in your dating life, you know, is different for a gay woman or a straight woman. So I think all these things can actually be advantages. It's just a question of feeling empowered sure. and uh, and usually and hopefully having a community that can really share those stories with you and you feel like, you know, you're, you're in it together. I think that really does make a big difference in business. Yeah, that, that community aspect, because it's so tough outright. Everyone has days where you want to give up and you're just kind of pulling your hair out. I mean, do you see it's changing, Natasha? Do you see that either on the strength of just greater awareness around social inequities of all types, whether it be the Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, just broader cultural awareness as a function of younger demographics out there and so on? Do you feel like it's changing or is it really you're driving that change with other queer and, and lesbian and gay kind of entrepreneurs who really are forming that community and you're just surging ahead together? It's a good question. They're so connected. You know, I think the consumers demand something and, you know, businesses respond. But I also think the most interesting and innovative businesses really do set the tone because I think consumers 
can demand something, but it's hard for them to ask for what they can't envision. I mean, if you think even about like, if you went into like a research group, you know, five years before the iPhone and you're like, so are you going to pay $1,100 for a phone? Right. And everyone would be like, never. Well, that's insane. And then suddenly you show them something that can, you could manage your whole life and, and give away all your privacy on. <laughs> um, right. You and give away like, all your data all at once. Yeah. Right, check, right. check, sign the contract. Um, but, but so, you know, like, I think, I think the consumer can only go so far. I think, I think it is the role of the innovator to really move the dial, but having consumers believe in it and understand it and know about it and ask for it also is like part of, of that, that kind of, you know, evergreen loop of, of progress. Entrepreneurship is a curious journey, not one that everyone sort of, you know, selects lightly and it really demands so much of you. How did you kind of get the, get the idea off the ground? Did you bootstrap your way through to an expanded product line? Did you do friends and family financing? We, I mean, that the bootstrapping was like my personal credit card. Don't ask me why mine and not Freya's. You know, she just... Right, of course. Well, you know, <laughs> she, you know that's that, that strategic moment where you go, I don't know, is it, is it here? Yeah. She did I, leave, did I bring it with me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bill. yeah. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Um, so anyway, uh, that was the very, very start. And then we did like... Friends and very friends and family, really family, like my mom, Freya's aunt, one other friend. And then we started getting into actually work with the Opportunity Fund. They're amazing. They're the biggest micro lender in the country. They lend to a lot of women and minorities. I was on the board for five years in Southern California and we worked with them. And then we did bigger angel investment. And now we're in the private equity. Um, and actually, and we have like a really great um, kind of social mission based private equity partner as well. And some some other angel investors that have come in, some really highly influential folks. So um, excited about that too. I mean, it's so powerful because, as you say, you've got a premium, you know, opportunity with your product itself. The cones themselves, you're doubling down on that. Um, you know, when you typically get to the rounds where you're getting private equity involved, there's there's suddenly more cooks in the kitchen. You know, there's more chefs at the table. How do you protect your purpose or mission, even though you're working with a mission aligned partner like that? How do you make sure that the integrity of your intent doesn't get diluted? Is it a daily battle where you've got to kind of keep yourself on track? Or do you find, you know what, pick the right partner in the first place and it takes care yeah. of itself? Yeah, I mean, if they weren't here for the mission and frankly seeing the business value in that proposition, then I don't think they're the right fit. You right. know, if you're going to be battling it out for your mission and, and you know, first of all, that's just it's totally counterintuitive because as we talked about earlier, that is why people are shopping and that is why people are investing in brands. But I also believe that as far as strategic acquisition, that is going to be number the, one of the number one things in this generation of brands that gets bought. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And to that point, I mean, every day in the press, we get this daily diet of news about climate or biodiversity. And then we've had the pandemic and, you know, the BLM movement and so on. Everyone knows that we're living in a challenged world. I mean, how does climate sustainability factor into your supply chain and what are you doing to sort of kind of um really deliver on that promise or that expectation of the younger generations i mean that's absolutely a player in all of it i mean i think our investing in our plant-based was a really big part of um wanting to move in that direction and we expect that to be half of our product line uh within a couple of years and that's definitely moving away from you know it's a lower footprint for sure and I think there's huge amounts of innovation that can be done there. And it's all sourced very sustainably. Um, we're moving in the direction of everything being non-GM certified. Uh, we're thinking about who we're buying from. Can we buy from more women and minorities as far as vendors? 
And then, you know, just as far as business practices, like anything that's like food waste and all that, it's just going it, to, it, it's, it's not even going to be, it's not, why would you want that even from a PL standpoint? That just hurts everybody. So it's always just absolutely important to be conscious of and better for your business. And, you know, how do you go about selecting those partners or does it come at a premium if you're going to go plant-based? You know, are the cost efficiencies there that it's competitive now when you're trying to get a business going and you've got to choose between a more expensive supplier or a less expensive but less responsible one? I mean, what did you find the situation was? I think now we're at a point I feel like uh, we can, um, as you grow, it is easier. It's true. Like when we were smaller, it was like the more sustainable packaging was more expensive and that was a hard thing to justify. Although we always try to find ways around that. Um, For example, from our trucks, uh, the sandwiches come in edible paper. So it just kind of, you know, sops up the the, the yummy kind of- I've eaten some of your paper, I have to admit. And also the whiskey, (laughs) the the whiskey-based ice creams. I mean, you know, you're so standing good. there as a dad, like we're in LA and near your Culver City store and I've gone in there at night and I'm like, ice cream, really? 11 o'clock at night, are we really whiskey ice cream? It helps everyone I will go take to bed. Two scoops. Yeah, exactly. The oh, yeah, funny, two scoops, thank you so and much. And that whiskey charms, of course, kids always want to order it because it has lucky charms in it. And you're like, well, it's your call. Yeah, parents, yeah, yeah, you know? no, absolutely. <laughs> that's very little alcohol, you'd be fine. No no judgment. I know, I know. I'm like, can I drive home after this? Yeah, um, yes, yes. And, and, you know, what would your advice be to you know, LGBT, you know, gay, lesbian, queer entrepreneurs, would you say to them now in hindsight, you know, the last decade, there's been a lot of progress and now is your time, like step forward with greater confidence. Yeah. Or do you say, listen, lean into your peers and and let's do this together? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think both and all, I think you, you, um, as an individual, you have something to stand for and, um, you know, you are helped be, you're helping to be the change that ultimately will inspire the next generation. And also to, you know, connect with others in the space is really nice and share experiences and, and good, the good and the bad. Um, I think there's many good ones, uh, to share. And it's, like I said, it's helpful. I think you realize that business is a great way to overcome adversity or to use the adversity and, and, and it becomes a positive thing for sure. And I also think business is the great equalizer. Like one of our factories is in like rural Utah and they know everything about my family. And you know what, we're all here to, you know, make a great product. And, and so it, it puts you in a room with people that could be easy to not connect with. And you do, and you realize we just didn't know each other and we're actually, right. you know, all, all here to do something good yeah. and, and we're all connected. And, and, I, and I think the number one reason we don't, we fear each other is we just don't connect, you know? I think this moment, this is a watershed moment coming out of COVID where it's not just a chance to get outside again, but to reconnect and understand how important connection is at a deeper level. And there's no better place than to do it around a pint of ice cream. I was actually talking with my team earlier today and we were arguing whether somebody eats ice cream in a bowl or straight out of the pint. Would you, you know, like, what would you, what would you recommend? Is it sort of just the pint or nothing approach? I, you know, I'm a, uh, an equal opportunity ice cream eater. No judgment. Anyway, we were actually going to do with the cones. Are you, are you a top or a bottom? Do you, do you like to go straight from the bottom of the cone or, you know, work, work your way? I've got issues with people that bite off the bottom of a cone before they're finished, but <laughs> that the will, whole thing. We'll, we'll take that offline. We can, you could comment on the social media. Post. I, I should, I'll <laughs> we'll pick up, we'll get a, you know, a debate going. I also, you know, noticed that you mentioned how you share your story as something that's sort of a differentiating aspect of the business, but also you use your packaging very effectively, you know, and 
I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle. When do they talk about their purpose? When do they talk about their product? Or when do they lead with their product and then point back to their purpose? How do you approach packaging and the stories you tell? I think if you have, for, I don't think every brand has an amazing story or even purpose behind it. Um, so they're going to lead with product, you know, and you really can see right. that. You, and I feel like more often than not, that may happen with like a kind of specialty diet or maybe even like a bit of, I would take it further to like the fad diet, you know, like they're leading with that because that's the core purchase driver is someone on, I don't know, keto or, you know, and so that makes sense. You, that's first and foremost, need people to know they can eat this, they're on keto, whatever. On the other side is, I, I just see it as more of a long game if you're going to lead with that kind of story and that mission, because that's really, to me, building the culture and building something bigger than even a product can be. And it allows you to do more than one product also, because ultimately I think, you, may, you know, you have to be smart and streamlined about it, but um, it can be, once you have that brand, you can kind of do anything with it. Yeah. Um, and it can be a lot of different places. So that's my philosophy. I, I truly do not believe there is one right way to do this. Like whenever I do public speaking, I say like, this is my story and this is what I've learned. If you can apply them, great, you know, or you can take something away that's helpful for your story, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to do it because no. there's just literally, there's not a one size fits all. And you mentioned culture there, which is so important. I mean, especially when you've got a bricks and mortar business, you know, how you relate to a I guess the customer it really determines whether they come back or not. In terms of your platform of inclusion and diversity and so on, do you hire for that message? Do you try and sort of demonstrate that through your staff or do you educate your staff to that end? Like how do you build a culture around it? Yeah, I think I think all of those things. I think um, you want to, you know, uh, obviously walk the walk as much as you can. And if you have a space where it's not happening, you have to ask yourself why and have the tough questions and conversations, you know, as a leader and with your team and, you know, create plans and practices and, and you know, take actions, to, you know, that um, for to, that really demonstrate that good. And hopefully if you have the right team, they're totally behind it as well. And you have the consumer who sure. wants that. It's all connected, you know. And so um, I think continuing to have awareness, like something, for example, I thought that was interesting um, in, in like a seminar that I attended, it was about interns mm -hmm. and how, you know, unpaid interns is, it's a it's a luxury to be an unpaid intern because it's basically someone who can go and work for free, which obviously also there's also issues laws around, around that. in California anyway, about what yeah. kind of work they can do. But if you, if you can manage to change that to a paid internship post, you're going to attract much bigger diversity of candidates. Mostly, you know, you're going to get you know, wealthier and white candidates with an unpaid internship. So even just realizing and being aware of things like that, how important that hmm. is, you know, even on that, the, for, even for something like that. So just like, I think it, a lot of meaningful learnings and conversations have come in, come out of last year for every, everyone, no matter how woke you thought you were or not. And that's ultimately a good thing. I did want to show you guys too, just yeah, as please. an example of a, of a product. This is this is uh, currency cake. I know it's in reverse to me. I don't know. About currency cake. There we go. Yeah, you can see that. But it's it's a pint for Black Girl Ventures, which is a um, it's a, uh, a basically a platform that's a um, uh, they do pitch competitions right. with live fundraising, and they have mentorship and incubators and webinars. I've led a few, and this flavor, the pro proceeds of profits will go to one of their grants for one of awesome. their founders. So it is literally ice cream that's funding, you know, startup capital for black and brown female founders. And it just, 
it's so good to use the, like literally the ice cream, something that is delicious and brings joy and can help make change. Like that's, that's just how I see the future for us. More and more I'm hearing today that successful companies and entrepreneurs and leaders are saying, here's the legacy I want to build. And it's about shaping mm -hmm. culture or moving conversations forward. The company and the products are tools to that end. Yeah, 100%. But in that order. So what, what's your larger ambition? Yeah, what's your ambition? Yeah, I do, see, I do see that. I mean, I just think like, you know, so much of running business, like what's your purpose and what can you do and, and how cool that like, you know, I don't, I don't know that every, I think each company is different. A company like Cool House that is so cool and unique and interesting and started with out of the box thinking and, and unique leadership and, and um, diverse leadership. Um, we have a unique opportunity to actually use an ice cream brand for cultural change. Like what an exciting thing to be able to do. What is, what a special power. Right. Why would you not try to, you know, make that, that power be full effect. And it's something you can look back on and really be, be proud of. And I can honestly say like, I feel like what I do, what I do makes me a better person. Right. <laughs> like, right. We can't all say that. And, and that's a huge gift, you know, especially given like, yeah, started making ice cream sandwiches. So that's something I'm leaning into because that's like a, for me in my life on a personal level. But I also think demanding that every single person views it that way is not okay either. You know, like sure. not every single brand and person is, is here to do that or on the same level. And, you know, I think if, if we, we, that can, we can take that too far and, and we don't want to, um, you know, have that kind of judgment on every, on every single entrepreneur, you know, let's all, let's all do our best and, and be here to live our best purpose. And if, if we can make really positive change, like, then that's awesome. I really agree with you that it is a good rod for our own back that we create when we have companies that are purposeful, because you've got to hold yourself to that higher standard all the time. And you've got to, you've got to walk your talk. Have there been any stories over the years that where someone has come in perhaps and said, hey, just the fact that you're here and that you're speaking about this story and that you're being a success, a success has not only changed my life because it's given me permission to be who I am, but it's inspired me to start a business. Anything like that that sort of touched you in terms of the effect you've had? Yeah, I mean, I think that's ha happened a good amount, you know, like now I've been doing this 12 years and. I just did my, my first clubhouse panel, uh, last week and a couple of the speakers were like, Oh, I heard you speak before. And it's, uh, this, you gave me this idea or this was really helpful right. feedback or we were on a panel together or something else. And so it's really nice to hear it come back. Like if I can do that for someone else, it's amazing. It's very fulfilling. And, and ultimately it fulfills me to want to do what I do more. I think like when you like mentor someone or you are an advisor for their company, Part of it is you seeing like, oh, what's the next generation up to? There's there, it's a two-way street, you know, like you're definitely helping them. And I think it's a helpful role, but they're helping you too. I think like anyone who's like any kind of like teacher on some mental level, like kind of knows that. So it's the inspiration. It's like a cyclical thing. It's like a universe kind of, you know, kind of paying, paying back. So um, it's really, it's really cool. And that happens. And ultimately, you know, it serves you too um, to do that. It does because you do, you sit there and you've got good days and bad days and you worry about payroll one day and sometimes you're flush and it's good. But I think as a purposeful entrepreneur, it's it's that stuff that sits with you and you kind of go, that story is what stayed with me or that's what really meant something to me. I mean, you know, the success that you've had and, and Whole Foods and, and really the, pre the premium end of the market, I mean, how did you even kind of learn these skills? How did you learn to make ice cream? How did you learn to be a successful entrepreneur? Did you have mentors on the way? Like, how did you build your skills? 
I think, um, yeah, I think I had always supportive people who encouraged me, you know, in my life, my parents, um, who always like, they saw I had a creative interest. They were like, let's great. Let's, there's no stopping her. There's no stopping her. Don't don't stop Natasha. She's doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they're very, they're both creative. My dad's an architect. My mom's an animator. So they're, they understood like, Oh, you can be creative and you can have a career. And, you know, a lot of, just a lot of supportive folks over the years, like, you know, whether it was like coaches on sports teams and I mean, there's all those kind of people along your way, whether it's like more directly or not with business. But I think like, ultimately, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be like a self-starter. You have to have the confidence and the conviction and the fearlessness to learn and be autodidactic and figure things out and ask questions, but also just get it done. And I think kind of done is better than perfect. Sometimes it's really hard to be a perfectionist entrepreneur, I think. Um, and, uh, then, but then my first angel investor was a guy, Bobby Margolis, and he was like a Titan of the fashion industry. And he definitely gave me a lot of lessons. One of which was you walk through a wall when you don't know what's there. And that is to say, like, there's some naivete when you start, that's actually a good thing. And, um, if you know too much, you go into analysis paralysis. So that was like a very empowering, you know, thought. What does the future look like? I mean, what did, what did COVID, what effect did that have on the business? How did you retool? And are you taking any of that moving forward? Was there actually some benefits in terms of how you had to innovate? Huge silver lining. I would say a number of ways. One, looking at the shop, which obviously like we couldn't have customers in the shop for a long time, but we switched to like the full, like last mile delivery model. And, um, and that's actually been super interesting. Like we're, we're definitely shying the top line, but we're running almost doubly efficiently on the bottom. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, do we want to reopen to full hours, even though we can, because we can have this great delivery business that's expanded and we've fine tuned the online offering, you know, for that. And it works. And then meanwhile, we've gone to all these other like cloud kitchens, dark kitchens that are like virtual cool house shops on the delivery apps. We could have those all around the country. We could never open another scoop shop and have like virtual scoop shops really anywhere that we wanted. And I think that's a huge, those really thrived and grew in COVID. Um, as far as our events business, that's, that was the hardest hit. You know, we, weddings were our number one type of event. There's no weddings. Right. It's coming back, but I think we've learned to use our kind of activations through other channels. So like if we have a brand who approached us to make a custom flavor, normally we would just hand it out from the truck and do a whole truck event. And now we're doing sure. it through, through our delivery apps or through our e-com. And so now we, the truck is coming back. We can offer the truck and we can offer these other channels as well. And so it's, it's expanded. And we started doing trucks, um, like treats to employees, like, you know, like going to like 300, um, like employees houses to do like a, you know, ice cream little gift to like cheer them up while they're working from home. And there's never, an idea. There's yeah, an idea. We never wow. thought of that or did that before because everyone was just at their office. The truck shows up and that's it. So I think, you know, that's, that's another offering that we can continue to do because people aren't going to come back full time if ever. Um, so you, you learn a lot. And then also, you know, what do people want to eat? Do, you know, what's, what's the affordable luxury that's most ideal when they're at home versus when they're out. And, um, and, and I think building e-com, e kind of a frontier in ice cream still. Um, and I think, you know, there's opportunity to figure that business out and, and make it more possible, but I think it's going to take a while. Um, to, right. to fully get there the way that the rest of the e-com industry is. But I think that has been accelerated by COVID and all the online ordering. And you mentioned the plant-based cones going to Whole Foods and so on and the premium end of the market that you're really yeah. claiming ownership of. You know, what else are you doing to, to grow the business coming out of COVID? I know you did the partnerships with Allegro Coffee around the Three Coins yes. brand. Like, is partnerships a big part of it? 
Yeah. Partnerships is, I think a great, like I, that's a way that we've always built the brand. So I want to continue to lean in. We did a great one with Ritz crackers last year. It was like a Ritz cracker swirl and peanut butter ice cream. It went totally viral. Kristen Bell had it in her freezer. We were giving it out through all the non-truck channels. Like I said, now we're doing a sandwich with them for national ice cream sandwich day this year. And, um, we, I want to continue like always, we've done so many of those, whether it's entertainment industry, like we did one with Hulu, um, with also with Kristen Bell, with Veronica Mars, we did Veronica Marshmallow, like s'mores sandwich. We've done with French's mustard in the past. We've done, you know, fashion industry. We've done video game companies, so many collaborations and they're really like marketing that pays for itself. Cause we, we access their platform and sometimes in the case of the really big companies, their budgets for PR and marketing, sure. and we bring them speed to market, an innovative item, a better quality item, and a unique way to get it out there. So that's one of my favorite like bread and butter cool house things. And I think there's way, way more cool ones to, to come from that front in, in dairy and plant-based. I mean, I love what you're saying. You're talking about purpose, you're talking about products, and you're talking about partnerships as just three things you can really leverage to accelerate your growth. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you're in a crowded category like ice cream and you can bring all of this innovation and really unlock this new white space, I mean, everything's fair game. Everything's yeah. fair game. Is there any message, Natasha, that you would share to, you know, fellow aspiring entrepreneurs? They may be, you know, gay, queer, they may be, you know, lesbian or LGBT. You know, what, what would you say to them as they still have some hesitancy based on you know, your experience over the last decade, are there any words that you'd share with them? I think, I think the walk through the wall when you don't know it's there, you know, I think definitely um, be, no, learn enough and know enough and be empowered by your willingness to just take that leap. If you really believe in it and have the strong instincts and have kind of that, that passion and that, that initial feedback, I always say like as an entrepreneur, you really have to look for like the sparkle in someone's eye when you yeah. tell your idea, like it tells that you that glint of madness, that yes. glint of madness, right? Right. When someone's really like, whoa, that's something, you know, you're like, I've got something here. I've got to make it happen, which is why I don't believe in not sharing an idea even early on because people don't steal ideas. It's all about execution. Like it's, it's like just share the idea and see what people think and get feedback. And then secondly, I would say like, really think about your vision in a big way, two, five, 10 year plan, you know, write it, write it down, hold yourself accountable it's amazing how when you write it, it happens. And I think there's a, you know, um, there's something about that accountability for yourself that you can share it with others, that you can share it with your team, with your customer, with your buyers, with your investors. That's really, really meaningful that when you get it out of your head. And I think write it down, not only for your business, but for you personally, like, is this going to fulfill you? Like, what do you want from this role? Do you want to lead? Do you want to exit? Do you want to play only a certain part in the company? You know, are you going to be able to make enough money to support yourself for all the hours you're going to spend, especially for women? We don't think of ourselves enough in the equation. So, you know, that's my, I think it's an incredible exercise. The sooner you can get to that when you're growing the business, the better. Fantastic. Well, Natasha, congratulations on the success to you, both you and Freya. And I just want to say enormous respect for bringing greater diversity to entrepreneurship. It's long overdue and it's incredibly powerful. So thank you. Thank you for having me and for uh, hearing, hearing my story. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead With We, where I spoke with Natasha Case, the co-founder and CEO of Cool House, who shared with us how to leverage entrepreneurship to promote greater diversity and inclusion, and how to leverage a unique and defining quality of your brand to accelerate growth and scale impact. Our show is produced by Goal17 Media, 
and you can find more information about Natasha in the show notes for this episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm really excited to share that my new book, Lead With We, is now up on Amazon for pre-order, so make sure you check it out. I'll see you on the next episode, and until then, let's all lead with we.